may be seated, Brother All right, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. As you know, uh, Brother Lamar is in Houston here uh, this week, and so his series is still continuing. Uh, here, I believe he's got five, maybe six left uh, of that, and so uh, you have me here this evening, but just for one, and so do come back next week. You might get a little tired here today, but that's okay. Matthew chapter 23, next week things will be back to normal. I've been kind of praying about um, some different series and different things that have been on my heart, and so this is kind of uh, uh, maybe uh, a bunch up of, of one thought that I had, something God had put on my heart, uh, and so it's uh, uh, 7.50 now, and so we'll try to do our best to keep with regular time. Uh, we'll try to be swift here and get to the point of what uh, uh, is our agenda here in Matthew chapter 23. So we'll start reading in verse 1. The Bible says, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men, and make broad their phylacteries, and enlarge the borders of their garments, and love the uppermost rooms at feasts, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're... Uh, thankful to be gathered in your house this evening, Lord. We're thankful, uh, even just tonight, to see young people that want to praise you and serve you, God. Uh, and Lord, even in, in light of the message tonight, Lord, just that they desire to do it, not to uh, be seen of men, but just to give their praise and worship and service to you. Uh, and God, might that be our hearts and our spirits this evening. God, might you uh, bless this time in your word. Might we see some things from it. Uh, might you speak to us and, and grant the uh, prayers that we bring to you this evening in our prayer time. Lord, we're thankful. We do love you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Probably um, here on a Wednesday night, we don't need to take a ton of time in, in, in building a backdrop of what's taking place here. Uh, you can see as Jesus is addressing the multitudes and the disciples here, uh, as he addresses them, he's not speaking in... Uh, a small private conversation with just a few trusted people. Uh, he comes out in a public sermon where the Pharisees and the scribes were put on the hot seat. Uh, just an amazing thing that Jesus did. And I, I don't know if we can all grasp here the setting entirely, uh, but we can read about it and probably most of us are aware of it, uh, that as the scribes and the Pharisees were the leaders uh, of the Jewish faith of that time, 
that religion was tied to their civil law. Uh, you're probably even aware that they had lawyers and courts that would actually determine the righteousness of a person if they were to break religious law, uh, even that way. And so this wasn't just uh, uh, some minor scenario where you would call them out in that society. This was a big deal. It wasn't something that was typically done. Uh, uh, Outside of blatantly breaking the law for the Pharisees, it just wasn't uh, uh, acceptable to call them out or to question their loyalty or their righteousness or their adherence to biblical commands. Uh, They were not publicly criticized. Uh, And the atmosphere of all that took place there was this was now all of a sudden a tense scenario that from what we read in the Bible didn't really exist outside of Jesus and John the Baptist. And it didn't go well for either one of them, humanly speaking. You with me? They both ended up in a very similar scenario because of that. And even though the spirit and atmosphere that the Pharisees and the scribes produced was one of arrogance and pride, and everybody really was aware of that, it still was not challenged. Because it couldn't be quantified, nobody would argue with them. It was just, in other words, their spirit of arrogance, their spirit of pride, their spirit of we're the leaders and you're the regular folk. That was just the expected norm by now. That's just what, that was the reality of the daily life in Jewish culture to them. And so when Jesus would come out, and even beyond what's contained in the first part of Matthew 23, where he even gets heavier with his words and calls them vipers and empty uh, uh, graves even, as he would refer to them, whited sepulchers, dirty dishes, the old dirty dish insult. hate that one. That one gets you deep. And so, I don't know why I do that, but... He gets heavy with that, and that would have been a very serious scenario as he does it. And he does it because this had become not only the accepted norm, but it became something that wasn't even paid attention to. It wasn't even almost observable to the Pharisees, and it was almost just became as if it was normal to the people there. And what I want you to see here real quick, I don't want to take a ton of time, but man's nature is to justify himself and lift himself up. Without influence from someone else, we desire to lift ourselves up. It's what we'll continually do. If you deal with children on any account at all, you'll know that to a child, nothing is their fault. Nothing that's ever happened is their fault, right? If you have any child that's done something, if you ask them why it happened, it's always because somebody else or because of the circumstances, miracles outside of their control, right? Almost any time you hear a child that will take uh, a responsibility for what they did, they do it almost out of a spite to let you know, I don't care if you think I'm wrong. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> but very seldom will, will you say, why did you do that? And a child will go, I, I sinned, I messed up, I apologize. It's not a common thing. To be honest, it's not common for adults, really, either. <laughs> and that's kind of the nature of mankind. It's, what's, it's what in our hearts as sinners, as sinful people. And so Jesus here is drawing attention to their hypocrisy, to their pride. Uh, he's, he's putting a light on what takes place that would naturally take place as they existed 
without that influence. He talks about how they would put burdens of religious obligation on others, but would not lift a finger to help them. That's what took place. That what they did, they did to be seen doing it. He draws attention to that. And now only Jesus can do that, mind you, because he knows their heart. Nobody else could say that definitively. They could feel that. And I think we understand what we mean by that, right? You can tell the difference, but you don't know. You with me? When somebody does something and they're doing it so that everybody knows that they're doing it, you get a feel, but you don't know. You can't say what's in their heart. It's your best guess. Jesus knew. And he said, hey, listen, I know that what you're doing, you do so that others will see you do it. Everything they did was something that was public. Nothing was done privately. Nothing was done just to serve. They made a point to do everything publicly. They get the most mileage for their religious acts. Their phylacteries, big. You're not just going to have the phylacteries. You've got to make them wide. You don't want to walk by anybody and them not notice your phylacteries. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> the dress, he says, the borders of their garments, extra wide. In other words, their, their dress was beyond holy, beyond the bar, extra. They loved the prime seating. They loved to be clearly identified as righteous. And of course, from our perspective, as we were to look at them, we can see the blatant hypocrisy, pride, and arrogance in what took place. Uh, Jesus was not even a little ambiguous about it. He called it as plainly as it could be called. He knew their hearts, and he knew the ocean of pride that existed there. And now their desire was to lift themselves up. But, but let's put that in perspective here a little bit as we read accounts of this. Probably, we don't, once again, we don't know this, but probably it would be safe to conclude that every scribe and every Pharisee probably didn't consider themselves to be a self-righteous, arrogant hypocrite. Would you agree with me there? I mean, probably. They probably all didn't convene and say, okay, now be as hypocritical as you can be. We got it. All right. Note, increase hypocrisy 200% this week, right? I mean, no doubt there were some that intentionally knew exactly what they were doing. But I would say probably for many of them, they weren't even consciously aware that what they were doing was blatant and apparent hypocrisy fueled by an ocean of pride. They probably weren't even aware of that. Uh, surely we don't believe that they were existing, consciously trying to suppress everyone and live in, in, the, in the maximum hypocrisy they could. Now listen, that's easier to think that that's the reality. It's easier to think that they lived as hypocrites intentionally. Because if that's the reality, then we can placate ourselves with the thought that that's not what we do. You with me here tonight? If, if, if we can say that the Pharisee was a Pharisee because they intended to be a Pharisee, then we can say tonight, I don't intend to be a Pharisee, therefore I'm better than a Pharisee. That's an easy thought. However, if we have to conclude that the Pharisee wasn't entirely aware that they were a proud, arrogant hypocrite, that muddies things a little bit for us. Because then it's not just so simple as to say, I don't intend to be that way. Hopefully that's not confusing. In other words, to use this passage to think highly of ourselves 
because we're better than the Pharisee is a bitter irony to the spirit of the passage. Do you follow me there? Pride is not, in other words, an active decision of man. It's man's passive nature. You do not wake up one day and decide to be proud. You're proud until you decide to humble yourself. That's, the re- that's, that's our default nature. And it's amazing how we would look at passages, and I'll be honest, we've done this so many times. I have so many times. I've come to passages where Jesus is, is uh, 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 commanding and, and, and drawing out and showing the uh, defaults and the problems and the sinfulness of the arrogance and pride of the Pharisee because they looked down on others and thought they were better than them. And my reaction to that is, wow, glad I'm not a Pharisee. Way over my head, the whole point of the passage. In other words, we, so, we one-up the Pharisee so often. We have the, the sinner and the Pharisee down at the altar. And the, and the, and the Pharisee, the, the sinner says, uh, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And the Pharisee said, God, I'm so thankful that I'm not a sinner. And we sit next to the Pharisee and we say, God, I'm so thankful I'm not a Pharisee. And we go, I got it. I got the spirit of the Bible here. And we're missing it so often that way. Pride is so ingrained in our nature that unless we have a purpose to do something about it, unless God's spirit is at work in our lives humbling ourselves, then we're going to do it naturally, consistently, maybe even to the point that we're not even aware that it's taking place. In fact, we so often... Uh, almost unintentionally declare our own goodness that we may not even be aware of it. We excuse our mistakes. Uh, We blame others for where we're at. We amplify our successes. So often we identify our righteousness. Uh, And we we can go on and on tonight about how often our nature and our attitude is, is we want others to know how right our political stances are. Uh, how we've avoided the pitfalls of our broken society, how we've been so responsible and hardworking not to end up on welfare or homeless, Uh, how we've been faithful to the Lord amidst a society that's antagonistic to God. And so often we do this without even realizing that it's from a place of pride in our hearts. And we look at the Pharisee and we go, thank the Lord I'm not a Pharisee. And we miss really what's going on. What a tragic irony it would be for us to look at this passage and pride ourselves that we're not like the proud Pharisee. And this very pride that Jesus is getting at here, this spirit and attitude of arrogance and hypocrisy, is the enemy of godliness. It's the enemy of ministry. He says they, in verse 4, he says, They bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, lay them on men's shoulders. But he says this, But they themselves will not move them. With one of their fingers. Their pride compelled them to speak of all that is wrong with others, to condemn them and to compel them to do more, to be more, to live better. But not a one of them would ever lift a single finger to minister to them. That's what you see from the Pharisee. Their attitude is, you ought to be better. You ought to do more. And you didn't even realize that half the things you were doing is wicked. And you have to change the way you're living. And you know what? Actually, the law says this, but I think it probably means this, this, and this. And so you better do all of this extra. 
But not for a second would a Pharisee ever get down and minister and help them. To serve them. To show them how to live that way. In fact, the Pharisee would have his own baggage and his own sinfulness behind closed doors. Only to display exactly what he wanted the people to see out front. And then to tell them, do better. Be better. As if he himself was perfect. And yet would never lift a finger to do anything to help them. And we look at that and we, we know that that's the spirit of the Pharisee. We know that that's wicked. We know that's the enemy of godliness and ministry. And yet, can I be honest? That's our nature. It's our default. Our, our default is to hide all the bad parts of ourselves and to show all the good. And then to accuse everyone else that isn't doing right. And our default is not to do anything to help them about it. We so often will talk about all the unfaithful Christians in the world. We'll gossip about who in the church isn't doing right. We'll rant on social media about all the wickedness of the world. But we'll never get in the ditches to minister to those we deride. If that's us, can I tell you we're on the wrong side of Matthew 23? And listen, we never think of ourselves as the hypocritical Pharisee. And we're less likely to think the more the world accuses us of it. But can we just admit this here and now? And I just want to move quickly so we, so, so we can get through this. But it's more likely for each of us here that at any given point in time, there's far more pride in our lives than there ought to be. I don't think any, I don't think any one of us could possibly, on any, on any real value, argue with that statement. I don't think any one of us could say, you know what, no, yeah, tonight I, tonight I came to church. I would say I was a little too humble tonight. <laughs> too much humility. In fact, I had to bring that to the altar. And I said, God, I'm so sorry for my humility. Would you help me be a little prouder? I don't, th- I don't think any of us would admit that that's what's happening. We never think of ourselves as the hypocritical Pharisee. But the reality is, is that even almost in any given point in our life, there's more pride than there ought to be. And he says this, the greatest among you, in other words, the one who understands godliness, the one who grasps the depths of the heart of God, the one who knows what it is that God would desire them to do, that, that, that lives in the spirit and atmosphere of what God would have them to do. He says that person is the servant, the humble one. And it's just as counterintuitive today as it was to the Pharisee back then. We think it's the lowly that do the serving. Lesser tasks for lesser people. We just inherently do that. That's our, that's our nature. No doubt, probably, and it almost happens instinctively. If you show up to church and pastor's cleaning the bathroom, you almost instinctively go, no, this shouldn't be. It's for lesser people. <laughs> it's just, it just and, and not that what should go one way or the other. That's a good spirit to have. The point is, is that our, it, it's instinctive that we think a lesser task for a lesser person. The lowly do the serving. And he says this, Jesus uh, counters this comment. He counters the atmosphere that the Pharisees produced by saying, the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. And really the point that Jesus is getting at here. In the first 12 verses of Matthew 23 is the simple truth 
of humility and service. Just a, just a simple truth tonight of humbling ourselves. Can I tell you what? Humbling, nothing you're going to hear tonight is new information. It's not new. But can I tell you what? We probably could not hear enough about humbling ourselves. All throughout the Bible, God, God lets us know that it's the proud look that he despises. And in James 4, 6, he says, he giveth more grace. He says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of God. Of course, we just noted, even in Luke chapter 18, where he talked about the two men that went to the temple to pray. The Pharisees saying, I thank God I'm not like this sinner. And the sinner saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And I don't, it's, it's, it's almost ingrained in our nature. But we so easily forget who we are. We are the dirty sinners who hung by a thread over an eternal hell. That's still us. We're not, we're not amazing now. We, we were just, some of us, maybe weeks ago, you were still hanging over an eternal hell. We are those who have done nothing to attain salvation. And listen, since we've attained it, have done nothing to add to it. We are those that even since we've been redeemed, even, though, even since we've been granted His Spirit, have still chosen to sin on a daily basis. And yet so often we think, man, I'm, I'm better than others. In fact, the whole gospel, as Jesus would say, and as the Bible would extol to us in Ephesians 2.9, he says it's by grace, not of works. Why, he says, lest any man should boast. And so often we get on social media and say, look at how righteous I am. And, God, and Jesus is almost saying, you know, the whole point was that you wouldn't boast. What do we have to think ourselves better than any other? Where Jesus would say, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. In fact, I think even our, our attitude and our humility and our pride is brought into light when we're offended or accused wrongfully, or somebody says somebody doesn't like you, somebody thinks you're not a good person and we're all offended. My favorite quote on that from Charles Spurgeon, I don't know if you've heard this, but it's awesome. I think about it at least every week, as somebody offends me almost every week. <laughs> he says this, brother, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are far worse than he thinks you to be. It's truth. He says, if he charges you falsely on some point, yet be satisfied. For if he knew you better, he might change the accusation. And you would be no gainer by the correction. If you have your moral portrait painted and is ugly, be satisfied. For it only needs a few blacker touches and it would be nearer the truth. We reveal our own pride when somebody offends us and we go, whoa, excuse me. How dare you call me a sinner? Uh, I didn't do what you just accused me of. Yeah, but I did 10,000 things that you don't know. 
Humility is understanding. Listen, there's nobody, there's nothing anyone could say about us that would bring us lower than what we really are. Where are those that have been born in dust, born in sin, sinners by choice, continually rebels against God, and yet God granted us mercy that we could be saved? What do we have to pride ourselves on? And the attitude is this, that if we do not come daily with the broken and contrite spirit David spoke of, pride will surely well again in our hearts. It's it's undoubtable. Humility is not granted by one simple trip to the altar. It's reinforced daily by remembering our own destitute position without Christ and being floored by the love of a Savior who would die for us. Not news to anybody, but something we need to continually hear. There's no doubt we can go weeks, months, years without even being in a church service where we think, man, I probably should bring things to the Lord. I don't And he says this, one of the, the, the greatest among you, those that will understand, are those that will humble themselves that I can exalt them. That will humble themselves before the sight of God. Not those that will think they need the applause. Not those that will think they need the congratulations. That will do things for the sight of men. That will be offended if anybody accuses them of being something less than perfect. He says those that understand the spirit of what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 23. Are those that intentionally humble themselves with a contrite spirit. Saying, you know what, I'm as bad as anybody would ever think I am. Worse. I'm just thankful that God would save me. And he says this, that humble person, the greatest among you is not just the humble, but he says, he'll, he'll be your servant. Matthew 20, he, he reinforces this concept. When he talks about, the, when he says, those won't be those that, any of the disciples won't be those that sit on my right or left hand. Uh, and he says, and when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called on them and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they are at great, they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. And throughout Christ's ministry, throughout the Bible, time and time again, we are told that greatness is to serve. Not to lead, not to be the performer, not to be seen of man, not to receive the congratulations and the applause. Listen, I think we'll all be surprised on the day of judgment that it won't be the celebrity preacher with a chauffeur and bodyguards that gets the greatest reward. It'll be that person no one's ever heard of gave all that they had to just love and serve those God put in their life. That'll be the people that are lifted up. Those that said, I don't need the accolades. I don't need to be seen of man. I don't need people to think I'm great because I'm not. And they just serve. Jesus says, that's the greatest. Christ even tells them (laughs) what's amazing even as he derides and even as he draws attention to the absolute hypocrisy and and proud arrogance of the Pharisee, he doesn't tell the others 
He doesn't tell the Jew and his disciples to disregard them and to hate them and to accuse them. He doesn't tell them to disdain them. In fact, he tells them to give respect to the position of the Pharisee. He tells them to voluntarily humble themselves to do that which they know is right when it's told to them by those they know are not right. He says that's what humility is. Can I tell you what? It's no humility to demand perfection before we give our respect. That's so often our heart, isn't it? It's the same attitude. We so often come to the Pharisee and we go, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad I'm not the Pharisee. And we do the same thing and we'll show up to church and we'll go, uh, when you're perfect, I'll obey. When you're perfect, then I'll be part of this whole scenario. We do that. It's the same spirit. The spirit of, I'm better than you, so you rise to my level. (laughs) It's that spirit. And Jesus says, that's not humility. Humility is that you come knowing even that the Pharisee is the hypocrite and you still submit to righteousness because it's righteous. Not because an unrighteous person told you that you disagree. The critical heart that expects leaders to be faultless in order to submit is stricken with the same spirit they criticize, if you understand. And he says this, those that understand, those that are going to be great, those that get the spirit of Matthew 23, are those that are going to humble themselves and those that are going to minister, they're going to serve. They're going to serve because they're not looking to be served because they think they're amazing. They're going to serve because they say, if I could do anything for the Lord to bring glory to his name, if I could serve his people even a little, it would be an honor greater than I deserve. And so they'll give all. They'll serve. They'll say, if Jesus loved even somebody like me enough to save me, then man, what an honor it would be to tell somebody else about that same love. That if Jesus allows me to be in a church and happy and healthy with a family and a church family that loves me, then man, what an honor it is to love them and serve them. And so I ask you, if we're on the right side of Matthew 23, who have we ministered to lately? Who have we served that shows our position of humility and service in our hearts? We become a great church when we humble ourselves and minister the gospel to the lost and minister to each other's needs without any need for accolation or congratulations. That's the spirit of those that are saved. Those that don't need to be uh, 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 congratulated for everything, but those that just say, if we can just but share the gospel with the lost and love one another, what an honor that would be for somebody like me. That's the spirit. He says this, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. Listen, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's probably good enough for us. If he didn't think he needed a congratulations, he didn't even think he needed a pillow. He traveled around, had nowhere to lay his head, never demanded his Pharisees serve him even. He went around, he washed their feet. And yet so often we go, listen, I'm past all that. No. I'm almost done, but what we're doing here, listen, is not about us. This isn't about how righteous we are. It's not about how wicked others are. This isn't a holiness competition 
that we're all competing in here tonight? Because <laughs> if it is, we all are the losers. We are here as fellow sinners who have received a completely undeserving mercy. And we're here to show that same mercy to the lost and to each other. The church has no power when it's filled with pride. The church emulates nothing of the spirit of Christ when we spend more time complaining that we're not treated right than we do serving others. Let us daily get a hold of the cross and remember who we are and who this is all about. He loved us. He forgave us. And he draws attention in this passage and so many others that his desire is that we would grasp just what that mercy means and how low we really were that he would raise us up. And that our attitudes to him is, as David would say, constantly a broken and contrite spirit. That we would be on our faces daily saying, God, I'm just so thankful that I even get to breathe another breath for you. And that our lives are are extended not to showcase ourselves Not to show the world how righteous we are, but to show the world how righteous he is. And to extend that ministering to others. When we stand to our feet this evening, bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm so thankful, God, tonight that I can say that I've been a recipient of your mercy. God, I know it's It's no competition for who's the worst sinner, Lord, but God, I truly do feel as the chiefest of them. And yet, God, you called me out of a a life of misery.